You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. The cream of the crop! Hey, welcome to a new episode of Triviality, Behind the Trivia. Um, Thanks for tuning in. Today we are extra excited because we have another, actually another Seinfeld uh, guest, but uh, we know him from basically everything right neil yeah that's right uh so james hong uh he's one of those actors who whose face you've seen in many many different tv shows and movies and when you see it you go oh i know who that is and, and, and you're you, even more likely to know his voice and his voice exactly like jeff said so just running down a few of his hits here uh you're definitely going to know who we're talking about uh he is a, a voice in kung fu panda and mulan he's from big trouble in little china blade runner uh he's on episodes of seinfeld the big bang theory friends uh, and many, many other uh, interesting roles that you'll hear about uh, soon after in this episode. But uh, super honored to have James Hong uh, here with us today. Uh, and uh, we hope you enjoy this episode. I think we had a really fun time. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think so too. And it's trivia packed. It is trivia packed. He, th- he throws a lot of anecdotes in there that we didn't know, uh, ones that I think you'll be interested in. And we do end the episode with a call to action. So uh, we hope that all of our uh, croppers and crop tops and creamers and whatever else. We really got to figure out a better name for this. Yeah, we do have to figure out a better name. Uh, call to action uh, to help him out because uh, as you'll find out, uh, we believe from our sources that he's the most credited actor of all time, dead or alive. He's oh, up there. He's up there. Over 500 uh, credits. So um, yeah, really, really excited, uh, especially for me. I didn't get a chance to tell him this, but uh, I first saw him in The Perfect Weapon with uh, Kenpo Karate Champion Jeff Speakman from 1991. (laughs) My brother Dave and I used to go to Video Update for two movies for 99 cents on Tuesdays, and I would rent this movie over and over again uh, to watch him play the uh, the mob boss Jung. So uh, very exciting today, and uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Uh, Yeah, Neil. You would not believe it. I'm going through my files, trying to clear it up. You know, all all these stacked up uh, uh, photographs and old scripts from. I believe it was 1954. And so you know, I got really into it, looking at this and remembering certain things. And I saw my first SAT card, 1954. I think my first job as a uh, union member. So, you know, I, I really got caught up. And of course, you have to dust the files off and try to put them somewhere else in the proper order. So the, you, you figure I'm 
clearing up my files for, what is it, 66 years of work here in Hollywood. That, that, that's not easy. Congratulations. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, I'm still at it and uh, working like crazy. I'm signed to a movie with uh, Michelle Yeoh and uh, Aquafina. And also, I've been uh, uh, signed with uh, uh, Jordan Peele, uh, the Academy Award winner, um, uh, to do a voiceover uh, thing he's doing. So it's it's really busy, aside from trying to do my own um, movie, which I'm trying to finish now. And <laughs> believe it or not, I'm going to try to... Um, to own my own Comic Con since I've done so many, I, I'm like a veteran. You know, I've been there for the first <laughs> ones, if not the very first beginning of the San Diego Comic Con when there was almost nobody there. <laughs> Look at it now. I was I was just hearing a piece on the radio about how it's grown over the years, and it, at first it was just a couple of guys in a basement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, in the beginning they said, "Oh, please come." They begged me to come. I said, okay, what are you giving me then? Um, they said, well, I will furnish you uh, the, 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 you know, the gas money to come down from LA to San Diego. We'll pay for your hotel and uh, a per diem. Uh, I said, well, okay, I, I can keep the money that I signed. So that's how it began when I got there. You know, there was a lot of room and uh, you know, hardly no crowd at all. And uh, I've been back, I think, once since then. After that, anyway, they said. We welcome you to come. We can't pay for any transportation, no hotels, and no per diem. You just come and sign. I said, forget it. So I, I, I didn't know. <laughs> Stan Lee, <laughs> I was at his first Comic Con, they call it. And we were there. We opened up in, in, the, in the convention, uh, LA Convention Hall. Believe it or not, there, was, there were more of us celebrities and the uh, um, you know, the booths, there are more people there than the people who came to uh, uh, attend, you know, attendees, the fans. Wow. That's how small <laughs> it was. It's crazy to think about. Uh, so, so in a way, you were actually showing Stan Lee the ropes of Comic-Con? Uh, in a sense, I was because I was the most busy. Other people around me were just sitting there uh, twiddling their thumbs almost, you know. Why don't I do my own, you know, I'm going to call it the whole Fantastic Con count on us to be there okay so uh so this is neil so you're here with with jeff and ken we're all big fans we're the the hosts of the show our, our co-host matt uh isn't here today so we're just gonna fire him of course i'm sure you understood that yeah well jeff you've tried chinese uh so what did he say oh i'm i i'm not even close to too too far displaced <laughs> from your lessons yeah well i i i think he's probably learning mandarin are you learning mandarin yeah and uh you speak cantonese well i, I was speaking uh uh cantonese well maybe i'll give you a couple of simple words in mandarin oh, i'm uh let's see how do i respond to that uh been so long it's been 10 years since i know you studied, right? right and i barely studied it but yeah. uh yeah he was asking me how, I, how i'm doing yeah right all you have to do is repeat what i just said i said ni hao ma means you good yes and then you just take down good yes how try it again ni hao ma just back in it ni hao ma <laughs> yeah, the tonality right i can't remember you asked me yeah very good very good pronunciation <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, James, you spoke about uh, conventions and Comic-Con, and it's actually a nice lead-in um, because you know we're fans of yours, and we've seen some great videos of you um, interacting with your fans uh, at conventions, signing autographs, meeting them, and we saw a few videos that were fun of you even dancing uh, with some of your fans. But um, you know, in general, what do your fans mean to you, and, and what I guess what movie or role would you say that they come up to you most uh, to talk about? Very good questions. Yeah, well, you know, uh, being an entertainer and being from Minnesota and being alone for all those years, uh, hibernating in the so-called small Chinatown, when I came out here to Hollywood, I really wanted to um, just uh, explode, you know, to explore and have fun. And I think that just overlapped into the conventions I attend. I want to entertain the people and uh, show them my appreciation of, uh, uh, for them being there and actually, uh, you know, asking for my humble autograph and pictures. So it, it, um, it, it I, what I'm doing is just I'm showing my appreciation more than just signing. I, I was there and I was flabbergasted and uh, Jane Russell was there. Oh, wow. And she, of course, she was signing multi, multi, multi. Uh, and, and she just flipped them through like a pile of... Um, uh, playing cards, uh, one, two, you know, and they just came and grab it. And she didn't even look up to to greet her fans, just sign it and pass it on, find it and pass it on. So, you know, I uh, I don't want to be that way. If, I've, if I'm going to be that way, then I, I better quit. Uh, so now I want to, if I do a con, I, I would like to add more to it uh, to entertain the people. Because basically, I'm really an entertainer, as you can see by my work. In Big Trouble, Little China, and and uh, Blade Runner, uh, Balls of Fury. I look at it. And I I say yes, yes. I'm I'm happy with what I did because I gave it all, you know. And and that's the way it is with these conventions and uh, the way I feel about fans and I appreciate their appreciation. So it's been a wonderful. What is it? Uh, like I say, uh, 66 years of acting and uh, going strong hopefully yeah it would it would be hard to do it probably if you didn't enjoy it as much as you do to to keep it up for so long and uh we noticed too that you have uh you're pretty much a record holder on imdb for most credits i think you were sixth when i looked for most credits i i would think i, I don't know who counting everything you know i i, I uh, the tvs and the movies and not even counting the voiceover i would think i you know, the IMDb doesn't even hold it all. Uh, I think I have about yeah. 500. I, I don't know of any other uh, actor li living or dead that has done more than 500. Do you? I, I can't say that. I'd be hard-pressed. I've been trying to count, but uh, it's been it's been challenging. Well, you said you were, uh, you were hibernating in uh, Minnesota for a while before you got into acting. So... What was the uh, what was your light bulb moment uh, when you realized that you absolutely had to be a performer? Where are you phoning from? From Chicago. Well, oh, that's that's close to Minneapolis, you know. We we all dealt with the cold here. So do you speak Norwegian and the Swedish? Yeah, <laughs> sure. I used to be in Minnesota, and I have all my friends. They call me Nelski, Nelski, <laughs> James <laughs> Nelski. Yeah, sure. Yeah, those were good old days. So th that was my time in Minnesota, surrounded by Norskis and uh, and Swedish people. And when I went to Sweden, uh, I, I felt right at home. Uh, so it was surrounding me in uh, downtown, um, which is now 
no longer Chinatown, of course, um, were, were all the, the white faces. So, so, you know, it was hard to get used to in a sense. When you attend school, like in my uh, uh, high school, I think I was the only Asian, maybe one other one, I'm not sure uh, if there was another one. He was hibernating. So it, it's been that kind of a time uh, and a, a, a youthful uh, uh, you know, area in my life, uh, sort of lonely, you know, and, and uh, you, you, you didn't feel the outward prejudice, but inside there were some hidden prejudice because why? You're in the minority, minority. So in a sense, uh, uh, none of the girls want to go out with you because, oh, you know, what do you want to go with that oddity for? You know? So it was very lonely. So in a way, I, uh, I found a lot of joy in uh, uh, entertaining myself. Uh, um, I, I would do all these in, uh, impersonations um, uh, in front of the mirror the, you know, when you watch TV, like when you, <clears throat> I used to watch, um, you want to hear a couple? I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, let's, we'd love to. We do impressions on our show, James. So when uh, we play they're trivia, all bad. they're bad impressions, though. <laughs> all right, you, you dirty, dirty rat. Uh, I'm a Yankee doo-doo dandy, a Yankee doo-doo do or die. Yes, keep our eyes on that grand old flag. Uh, ma, ma, rub my head, ma. Uh, ma, peace out, Lordy. Make him peace. Yes. yes, what am I doing here? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I just come from the farm. Or, uh, chicken and chicken. And what's up, Jack? And you gonna kill it? Uh, he'll have it. He'll have it. He'll kill what? Kill it for you. And a million of those, you know. <laughs> we, we got your entire reel right there, I think. Yeah, so it, it correct us if I'm wrong, but I believe that was James Cagney into Peter Lorre into Jimmy Stewart into uh, Bugs Bunny. Uh, and then into uh, Elmer Fudd. Right. Thank you. Thank you. That was that was wonderful. I couldn't even keep up. That was impressive. <laughs> I've always tried to do a Peter Laurie, but it only gets far as uh, me and my friend used to used to joke about uh, at the end of Casablanca. It's just his character wakes up and it was all a dream, and he screams, "Rick!" <laughs> <laughs> what else? That's good. That's, that's all. That's all uh, we can do. Sometimes we'll do a Jimmy Stewart, where you know I'll I'll do one, but I do Jimmy Stewart as is he's an older actor who's who's retired from the business, and you know uh, he'll go like, uh, "Well, yeah, so I used to love reading scripts." Yeah, that's good. Very good. Excellent. That's you're better than I am. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think my only good impression is Aziz Ansari, right? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, let me pet the puppies. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> very good. Very good. Yeah, I so I did, did all those and didn't get obviously didn't get paid for it. Um, I did go on the. In those days, they call it Cedric Adams Stairway to the Stardom, which is nowadays called what? Uh, yeah, yeah, America's Got Talent. That type of show. That was how early those shows were. And I only came in second prize doing those. But um, I came out to Hollywood in 1953. Right away, I got on one of those type of shows. You know, where a writer uh, got to, uh, to be a friend of mine. He says, they want you on the Groucho Marx show. I said, really? You know, how'd you do it? He says, well, this guy I got is, does impersonations. They said, no, 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 we don't want impersonators. 
there's a but this is the Chinese guy like who can do you Groucho. Groucho says, Yeah, really wow, put him on. And so <laughs> I, <laughs> I got on his and uh, that summer that I came out, I got on his show and uh, got the second biggest fan mail ever on his show. Uh, you know, that uh, you bet your life. You bet your life. Uh, so anyway, that would change my whole, talk about an event that changes your whole life. That one did. Because I did it on, on uh, national television, tremendous fan mail. And I said to myself, well, it behooves me for just going back to Minnesota and facing all the seeds and the Norskis instead of staying out here and give it a whole try. So I quickly transferred all my credits from University of Minnesota out here to USC and graduated in civil engineering. What so, did your parents think of uh, your performance on uh, You Bet Your Life? They, they didn't even look at it. It's unimportant to them whatsoever. And they thought I was crazy doing stupid things, you know. Uh, and they wanted me to be an engineer or a lawyer, so I became an engineer. And um, I, I designed roads for uh, L.A. County when I graduated. Uh, I designed curb and gutters. <laughs> That's what I did with five years of engineering. And I joined, I was serving in the service with uh, going to Korea, you know. I didn't go to Korea, but in the Korean War. And and you, you performed throughout the war, we, we understand, too? To the troops? Uh, well, that that is a whole, whole history in itself. Uh, I was in the Minnesota uh, Vikings, the um, National Guards. And when the Korean War started, they they activated the National Guards, you know, like they do the all reserves. And so um, I, I joined. I was a telegraph uh, specialist in, in the artillery. And all those big guns were going, you know, all those huge guns of old. And I was beginning to get deaf. Uh, they had those camp shows, uh, you know, for the army, uh, and I remember it very well. Uh, so I performed, and I did El um, Chosen. Uh, oh, mama, my little mama. Oh, I'm coming, mama. The sunshine sees. Oh, the sunshine's worse. Oh, and and the general of the camp, General Peterson, uh, next day says. Um, uh, I send that guy over to me, uh, uh, but I didn't even get to his office. They transferred me from that going to Korea the next few days <laughs> to to staying at the camp and became the uh, head of the uh, camp shows. You know, hmm. that's another thing that changed my life, right? So I would have gone to Korea and first of all probably freeze to death, and if I charge. The, the Koreans, uh, North Koreans, would shoot me if I retreat. The, the Americans would shoot me. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, so lucky, General Peterson saved my life. You know, yeah. he he just says, "Keep that guy here." And you really did devote yourself to your craft uh, after that, and really plunged headfirst into uh, performing. Um, was there was there anybody who inspired you towards the beginning of your career to to kind of really catapult into that, or you know who inspires you today as well? I think it was the first day that I came into Hollywood with driving down Sunset Boulevard, and as we pass uh, uh, Hamburger Hamlet, uh, that was on Sunset in those days. Uh, uh, there was a little uh, uh, railing, and then there was a class there behind the class. 
Well, I saw, hey, 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 Don, Don Parker was my comedy partner. I said, Don, Don, look, that, that's Jack Palance. And mm. Jack was eating a hamburger, you know, in this way. Uh, we have visual, which show he was, how he was eating this hamburger. <laughs> and that was a great inspiration for me to, to stay in Hollywood because, you know, he was my idol. The way his method acting was outstanding. And as it was, I did do a movie with him later. So I was very happy. And I must say, through the years, Jack Nicholson has been my idol, the way he handles uh, the craft of acting. And uh, he likes my work, too, which makes me very happy. And I was thinking uh, of him several times lately. I said, I wonder how he, how he is, because he hasn't been attending the, the Lakers game, I don't think. Um, but I, I wish him well. He, he hired me for the sequel to Chinatown. And also for another movie, I, that was not a hit. Uh, so Jack was my so-called idol as far as uh, uh, acting craft uh, and a person. He was always very nice, uh, not like some of the people I met who, uh, you know, w when they became famous, they, they forgot everything. They just let the fame carry them into another area. Well, that's great to hear about Jack. You know, he has a, a career that many people are familiar with, obviously, with a lot of the films he was in, and you were with him in Chinatown. And one of the things that I always thought was fascinating was, you know, not many actors get the opportunity to take a character in one movie, um, and then so many years later, a sequel is made, and then are able to expand on that character. And you actually got to do that with The Two Jakes, the sequel to Chinatown. So what was that like, being able to return to that character and then actually have some more time to build on it, it seemed? Well, the first thing in Two Jakes um, was uh, the history of that film is very interesting. So, so the after Chinatown, uh, I think was um, I don't know when exactly, but they called us in for to a script reading for a sequel to Chinatown called Two Jakes. So we went to uh, the producer's house, uh, uh, but he wanted to play. He was an actor, and he wanted to play one of the main main roles. You know which didn't quite hit uh, the rest of the uh, uh, company or whatever. But we did do a reading of two Jakes, great, great script. So I said, okay, here we go then. All of a sudden, we didn't hear from them anymore because they had that infighting about who's going to play what and blah, blah, blah. And so five years later, they said, okay, we're going to start, you know, uh, and Jack is going to be the director. And I said, wow, this is great. This is the first time I... Five years later, they reactivate this thing. I was very happy to work with him because he's very easy to work with in the sense that you you do something and he knows it's good and he'll give you the smallest uh, help and and it'll go, you know, like that scene with me uh, in Two Jakes where we went to the garden and we look at that uh, plant uh, that the, um, the the lady had made and uh, and. And he respected my acting enough to say that's one of his favorite scenes. And he shows that scene quite often when, when he speaks about uh, that movie. So I was very happy. So in, in, in a way, that's my reward. That's my, uh, uh, if I don't get the Academy Awards, though, those my, uh, are my awards to be recognized by my colleagues, uh, uh, my idols, the saying that's a good piece of work, you know. The same thing with... Uh, uh, Big Trouble Little China. I, I'm just creating. I don't know exactly what I'm creating. I just go through the role and all that 
that uh, 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 obsession and uh, this this lady, this girl with the green eyes, and that's why he's such a great villain. He all he wanted was love. So in a sense, all that feelings of being in Minnesota alone went into Lopan. All Lopan wanted was the girl with the green eyes. I shall marry her when I find her. Yes, two girls with the green eyes. What does this mean? <laughs> So Lopan be- became very, very much alive. And uh, through the years in the convention, that's the photograph I signed the most. For some reason, people identify with Lopan very much. I'm a huge fan of uh, Big Trouble in Little China. I have been since I was little. I-, I watched it when I was very young, and you're just wonderful in it. I think uh, you're just one of the best villains in film because I, I think what I loved about your performance in, in particular is you get to play so many facets of uh, Lopan, and you, you have the very old Lopan in the wheelchair, where you know he the uh, the serum and, and the uh, the magic isn't working, and then you have sort of the evil sorcerer Lopan. So it seemed to me that you really had a lot to play with there with John Carpenter. Was that was that the case? Were you able to kind of um, have fun and you know with the old age makeup, but then also the um, the more regal makeup of Lopan when he was doing the the sorcery? And uh, obviously the crew did a wonderful job, the makeup people and the wardrobe people. I'm trying to recreate that uh, low-pan gown now and do photo ops with my fans. You know? oh, that's a treat right there. I'll push that needle through my temple and <laughs> I will become low-pan. It, it lives in me. It becomes part of James Hong all through, through these years because you can't help it because the fans love it and they they sort of like recognize you as that person, right? Um, and uh, Lopan just lives on. And uh, it, it, in a sense, the story didn't really make too much sense. This, the script, it just kind of wanders a little bit. But I, I think uh, uh, this, the movie itself was way ahead of its time. So John Carpenter took this um, format of the Chinese movies and introduced it to the American movies, uh, which became... Uh, a big trouble, a little China. I can't say enough about it. You know the opportunity of having to work with him, and uh, uh, and he came up to me at uh, two parts in Studio City. Uh, I for a second I didn't recognize him, but he he said, "Remember me, John Carpenter." I said, "Oh, I got up and hugged him and thanked him." <laughs> you know, it's uh, what can you say in a career like this? You do something and it becomes so much part of you, that's your reward, right? You, you've accomplished it. You live your life right at that moment. I, I'm actually wearing the the uh, Jack Burton T-shirt today. I wear it all the time. <laughs> really? Yeah, I do. And and um, a funny story I thought you would appreciate is I was at the coffee shop the other day. I, I'm a big coffee drinker. And uh, the person behind the counter said, uh, what's that T-shirt? It's very artistic. I like the style of it. And I said, oh, you know, it's actually from one of my favorite movies, Big Trouble in Little China. And they hadn't seen it. And then I came back uh, a few days later to get another coffee, and and then they told me how much they loved it, and how much they enjoyed your performance. And I and I just think it's so great that a movie like that is continually gaining new audience, even with you know a younger generation or people who have no idea what it is. And she even specifically mentioned uh, her favorite part being you coming down that creepy escalator with all the neon towards the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, it, it it does have legs. I've, I have no idea why certain movies have legs and, and other ones uh, don't, you know, like I did RIPD and it just faded fast. And 
even balls of fury that uh, stayed on for a while, but it went. But big trouble lingers and it sort of eats into people's flesh and brain. And uh, and Lopan, um, when he comes down that escalator, that that's something to be said. Because I was, they, as usual, because it is low budget, it, it, they made that whole film for $25 million. Can you believe that? Nowadays, if, if you make the same film, it would be $125. Yep. Uh, so I was standing up on top of this, uh, this narrow escalator, which I think they just confiscated from some clothes uh, department store. You know, this tiny, as you can see, when you look at it again, look how narrow that thing was. And I'm standing on the top behind that uh, curtain in the mouth of the skull, and and I'm I'm looking at that that escalator going. I said, Oh my God, would they get this thing? And I'm I'm already rocking back and forth because of those uh, the the lifts in my shoe is about like uh, old five inches tall, right? I said, Oh God, what am I going to do? Should I stop? But they were hurrying, they were shouting down down uh, the bottom of the escalator, hurry up, this is the last shot, blah, blah. I said, oh, my God. It's one of those things you you don't know what you're doing, but you did it. Yeah, yeah. And it could have been the death of me. I got on that first step, and I started really rock because you know how you get on the first step. And you're trying to balance on that uh, five-inch uh, thing. And, you, and, uh, and I'm not going to hold onto the rail on the side because the, who, who is low pan to hang onto the rail, right? So as I'm coming down, I, I start to get my balance and I got confidence and I raised my hand and that became low pan coming down the escalator. <laughs> so they shot that and it was successful, you know. So uh, it just wasn't my time to get hurt or die, uh, <laughs> Several incidents like that, and uh, it was very chancy because, let's admit it, you can't make a movie like that for for twenty five. Oh no, not, yeah, not with all the action, the special effects, and and you know he did a lot of uh, blending of practical effects and uh, you know digital effects too. So it was a pretty big movie. Um, I remember it not at the time. I, I was probably a little too young, but I remember reading about the fact that you know that movie was poised to be a huge big box office hit and it actually ended up getting a better audience i think through you know through video and and sort of a cult status and then became even more popular that way instead of uh, people kind of coming out to the to the theater well there's a long story with that too when it first came out uh kurt Russell said at the um the, he said on those pieces of paper that uh, asked for results of the fans the fans rated one the highest so they thought that was going to really be a big hit but unfortunately, I think the director and the head of the producer or whatever had a, had a little, uh, uh, you know, tete-a-tete and had conflicts or whatever. And uh, the producer, the head of the producer said, uh, of, the, of the studio says, shelve that. Just put the uh, advertised money into Aliens, which came right after Big Trouble. And that's, of course, Aliens became a huge hit, right? And Big Trouble just got shoved into the background. No PR, nothing, just very little. And uh, however, as the years went on, people discover it. See, I have, uh, and they they like the movie, and now it runs on TV forever and ever. Uh, so it, it was one of its kind because it was the first of its kind. So, so you know, it's it's gratifying to be in one of the first of its kind. And Carpenter did that. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. 
Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, yeah, I, I think just about everybody in the United States at one point or another, including my mom, who uh, doesn't really watch too many movies, has had a moment where they say, hey, that's James Hong when they're watching a movie. And I actually had that moment when I recently watched The Sand Pebbles for the first time and uh, was uh, surprised to see in that. And uh, But you're in you're in basically a ton of movies, um, so, you know, very reputable movies, Sand Pebbles, Blade Runner, uh, Mulan, but equally you're in a lot of irreverent comedies and, uh, you know, just fun stuff. So may- maybe speak a little bit about um, how you approach those different kinds of works and what you enjoy doing most. Uh, well, uh, like Carpenter said, uh, I forgot exactly when, basically basically, uh, James is a comedian. <laughs> and I guess he said it all in that sense that, you know, although I do those heavy villain roles, and uh, uh, dramatic roles. I'm basically a comedian because I came into town with a comedy partner named Don Parker. We co- we were called Hong and Parker, and we we uh, you know tried to get into uh, Sunset Boulevard, Whiskey Go Go, and um, and those days Macambo, I think it is, and, and the different different uh, uh, shows. But th- we didn't have a chance because in those days, as a beginner, you you don't get a chance. Now you can go into uh, the improv and all kinds of different venues here. But in those days, you had to be big time or you don't get into the nightclubs. But however, that background as a comedian and, and that, that feelings of, of uh, uh, being in the minority, minority of uh, Minnesota and uh, how I was brought up to be, uh, you know, obey all the rules, don't kick up a fuss uh, and study engineering, all that strict and the, the fact I was I was able to graduate as a civil engineer put the technicality into my life together combined with the emotional part of being an actor, uh, I was able to do uh, these different roles, you know. Uh, it, 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 anything they threw at me, I, I took it, like Balls of Fury and, uh, and Revenge of the Nerds, number two. The producer, directors came up to me and said, that was right after I said, after I, Black Widow, uh, which was very, very serious. In fact, in Black Widow, uh, uh, Rafelson wanted me to be uh, the studio nominate me as, uh, you know, for Academy Award, but the studio said it was too small a film. You were you were great in that film. That I believe you played Shin, right? And it, uh, you were a drug addict. Yeah, drug addict detective. Yeah. Yeah, and Conrad Hall, I think, shot that movie. One of the most famous cinematographers of all time. Yes, very, very well. Uh, together with everything else I, I, I did in my life, uh, it, it it just made things go. The, it become more complex, but you through the complexity, you find some kind of simplicity and goal. You know, I had to fight the uh, prejudice here in Hollywood. In the beginning, if you're a Chinese actor, you, you don't get to advance because why it's like in good earth when I first came. They gave all the leading roles to the uh, uh, white people, you know, and the, the yellow people only got the minor roles and the extras. So, so the, you have to fight through that mess to what it is now. You you get uh, uh, crazy rich uh, Asians and 
all these uh, films are coming out. Uh, uh, they have the Asians are playing the main roles. It took 66 years to get this far, you know, and I'm sure it'll explode as time goes on because China's coming into the picture more and more. But that's what really is uh, James Hong made of from that little town, uh, Chinatown of two stores down in Minneapolis to the time where I'm sitting here now in Hollywood uh, going on and making more movies and uh, going to comic cons, greeting friends and and fans. Uh, That's what it's all about. Well, you know, speaking to that, um, you know, you spoke in the beginning about, you know, doing a, a film with Michelle Yeoh and Aquafina, who just had a great success with uh, her film, The Farewell, and just uh, the the rush of uh, feature films where there aren't any white leads. There doesn't need to be any white leads. It's a full Asian cast, and it's stories that are uh, inherently Asian that don't get told often, or if they are told, they're sort of whitewashed. And so I think it's a really great moment in the industry right now, and I know it's it's getting better, but... Obviously, little like, ways to go still. Little ways to go, yeah. The Chinese being in the minority was always called the silent minority because they were taught by their parents and culture to always be silent and to stay in the background. That's why we haven't advanced as far as as we we have, uh, you know, uh, because we we didn't vocalize, we didn't demonstrate, we didn't protest. I helped to form the first protest uh, right in the middle of my career. That's how how uh, uh, behind we were and I don't know exactly how that's going to resolve itself because we still don't have the market power well I think a lot of young performers are very appreciative of the fact that you weren't silent because you know you created uh, the east-west players uh, which I think is a very important organization and, and you did a few shows with another actor that we enjoy here in the studio Mako but um, can you please talk about you know the East-West Players, what it means to you, and, and what it's about for those that may not know uh, or be familiar with it? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the East-West Players back in you know forty some odd years, uh, there wasn't nothing to do. Uh, we weren't getting the roles. We were, uh, we're just sitting there and waiting. You know, although I did all those minor roles, I did do you know average in those days ten. 10 movies or TVs a, a year. So I worked a lot, but I wasn't, I still wasn't happy. So I called Mako and uh, another guy uh, to, to my apartment on Kingsley Drive. And uh, it was a little semi-basement apartment. And I, I, I said, we're not doing anything that's important. Uh, all we're getting are these uh, minor roles. So let's do something. Let's let's do a play of something. Mako love Kurosawa and and he he, right away he said let's do Rashomon and he found this play uh, of the movie Rashomon Uh, I don't know which came first but we did do the play Uh, uh, we did it and I think we started in the uh, 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 Bureau's Presbyterian Church on the stage and also the University of Judaism is still there uh, and Warner Playhouse, we, we ran that uh, play for a long time and got good reviews. And finally, Beulah Quo, who's, who has passed away now, uh, you know, uh, let's form the group and uh, call it East-West Players. And so that's how it got started uh, with that first vehicle. And it ran for quite a long time, even after we formulated the East-West Players. And we went on to... Uh, other plays written by the uh, Asian uh, writers and uh, directed. And so we just kept going on that route. 
uh, and with a few uh, 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 assistance from the uh, white community, we were able to establish East West Players as, as a prominent uh, theater. Until now, it's through the doors of uh, East West probably pass, you know, 100,000 each year. People just come as uh, to either see the, the works or to go to the classes or or just support the, the community people uh, meet there to support uh, the group. So I, I think East West will keep on growing forever until it's no not necessary to have a so-called uh, Asian group. You know, it'll become just a big theater group. Well, I think it's it's important what you you started and what you're doing, and I think uh, many young actors, um, you know, who are just struggling themselves, but especially actors in the Asian community, to um, continue to get more representation on screen. I think it's very important, and um, it's just something great that you started. I mean, you talked about people being silent, and I think the fact that you spoke up and you were able to to pull that together and and st- almost you know start a movement for uh, a place where actors could hone their craft and get noticed and and get better. And I think um, that's very admirable. Thank you. Uh, all we know is uh, in life, we just try, try something, and we don't know what will become of it. So um, most of our listeners certainly recognize your performances in film and TV. Um, you know, Seinfeld is one that we were we were kind of joking about earlier. Um, Actually, you, our our second Seinfeld uh, interview, right? Yes, that's true. Yeah, we, we we interviewed Mark Metcalf, who played the maestro before, and and now we're interviewing you, uh, who had a notable Seinfeld performance from the. Uh, episode where in the Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny to us how those characters um, just really stick with people, especially in, in Seinfeld. But your your work in voiceover is also incredibly impressive. It it probably, it seems like it supersedes uh, just in sheer volume the amount you've done on, on film. And uh, including uh, you're in Disney's Milan as uh, Sher Fu and Mr. Peng in Kung Fu Panda. So where did your interest in voice work come from? I think uh, it, it's very simple to answer that is uh, that all those voices I did in front of them here in Minnesota <laughs> has now blossomed up to uh, getting paid for it, doing it uh, for films, you know. Um, so th- that mirror was my workshop. <laughs> so, you know, now I, I, for some reason, I'm getting uh, huge money for doing voices, the same thing I did before. That's how life is. You know, you do something and if you're good at it, you'll get paid for it and also reward for it. And actually in uh, Mr. Ping, Kung Fu Panda, I wasn't scheduled to be in that film. Because originally I was going to do that little master who's the raccoon or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I, I, I read for it and we did the first, more or less, of uh, reading of the first episode. Then I didn't hear from them because they gave the, the, the part they wanted a bigger name till uh, Hoffman got it, you know. And um, I, so I, I said, okay, so that's it. Then all of a sudden they called me and they said, we have this other part. Why don't you come in? and do it, you know, so I didn't have to audition. So I said, well, what should I do with this part? You know, so uh, he, he's a little, little guy here. And he, he, you know, he's a duck or goose and he, he has this panda son. So what is he going to be like, you know? So I, I created this character, which is like a Chinese waiter and a Jewish mother. Uh, combined it and it became like, um, uh, Paul, Paul, what are you doing upstairs, Paul? Come on, Donald. <laughs> There's a lot of people here who want noodles. Oh, Paul, Kung Fu is no good for you. Just uh, hurry up, get the cart, get the cart and sell noodles. 
So, <laughs> so, so I combined, you know, several voices into one, and it became Mr. Ping, which is uh, now the, again is going to live forever. And I was thinking of even, and if you guys want to to help me, we'll open a, a Mr. Ping uh, James Hong Doodle uh, house, you know. And so, so I will corner the 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 noodle raw main the noodle uh, business in uh, Chicago and in L.A. and the whole United States, which is sell noodles. Uh, you've also broken into a, a more relatively new aspect of your profession of acting, which is uh, video game work. I know I enjoyed one of your performances in Sleeping Dogs as I was playing that. And uh, how does uh, doing the video game voiceovers kind of different from or uh, differentiate from doing the uh, the films and the TV? In in doing a game, it's really tougher than than doing almost anything because why? You don't have the set. You don't see what kind of a set you're in. You don't see uh, who who the the other person is. You're in the room by yourself, or you don't get to really see how the characters are, are playing because you, they don't show you the whole movie, right? They, you're just going to do this character, right? And, and uh, you have to then use all of the the, the te- technical uh, 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 craftsmanship that you know, uh, you know, visualize, visualizing the scene, visualizing what the actor, the other actor, you're responding to. Uh, and then try to put something into the scene as that character that you are voice overing, you know. So you you just uh, do the best you can, and then uh, uh, that uh, the director will give you some clues as how to alter it. So therefore, uh, you learn from your 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 uh, the craftsmanship that uh, you learned earlier. You learn how to. Do the, the delivery of that one line as many ways as you you know how. Well, we have uh, some listener uh, questions here that uh, some people wanted to, to ask you, and they're just kind of fun, rapid-fire questions. So of the uh, characters that you've portrayed over the uh, years that you've acted, who do you feel is the most like yourself? The, the big, big trouble, that is me. So, you know, so all these roles, I just that they are me. So I I can't uh, differentiate which one I prefer more because they are each facets of different facets of my personality and past and present. So it, you know it's hard to answer the question which one is my favorite. Even that simple simple scene I did uh, uh, the day the Earth stood still with uh, Keanu Reeves. That was a great uh, scene. Uh, you know I I was there. And uh, it was a McDonald's uh, uh, place, where, uh, and it was raining outside. And uh, it came to that scene. And as you remember, I was the uh, 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 Martian or the out of space person who has lived in uh, on Earth to find out what what uh, what is going on and whether we should destroy Earth or not. And in the in the uh, uh, interim of staying on Earth, I fell in love with. With the people and the situation, and uh, I'm I'm going to stay, and so uh, uh, the the script was written all in Mandarin between uh, uh, Keanu and myself. So he learned all the whole all, all the probably five pages of Mandarin dialogue, uh, and let that 
be a lesson to you guys over there. So anyway, I, I learned my dialogue. And um, so we practiced a little just before shooting. And then we shot the film, uh, the scene about, I would say, five or six takes in Mandarin. So I didn't feel comfortable with that. You know, I, I said, the audience will understand this, you know, and you're going to do all this in subtitle. I think it will lose the impact. So I suggested the, to the director, I said, just give me one take where, where I can do right in the middle of it, I'll break into English and uh, see if you like it. You know, he said, that one doesn't make any sense, but we'll do it just, just for you, James. So we, we did that scene in Mandarin. We both spoke in Mandarin. Then in the middle, I just slide into English. And so did he. One take and they say, cut, let's go home. And sure enough, that scene became the scene they used in the movie, you know. And it's very touching. And it's very fitting. I don't know why. You start with this foreign language and then you slide into this English, which is what the character experienced, right? He came on Earth as a foreign being. Then he became an American. So that's that to me, and that uh, actually to my agent, that's one of his favorite scenes. It, it's a very touching scene. Uh, the, the, one of the faults of the movie is, uh, is it's the very point of that. Why didn't they shoot more of this guy who stayed behind in, in uh, America and became a human being? You know, then that will tell the whole background of this whole movie. But instead, they just have that one talking scene and we have to act it, uh, try to say the whole thing instead of showing cinematically what it's all about. You know, and so there it goes. The movie just doesn't, didn't, didn't take hold because people could not feel it, you know. Well, we remember it fondly. And, um, you know, with Keanu, it sounds like he was very dedicated uh, with you on that scene. And I'm sh you've worked with many actors who have, you've said even yourself, that are dedicated like Jack Nicholson. But uh, one of our listeners wanted to know, you've acted with so many people and so many movies with uh, pretty, you know, uh, other large actors, Clark Gable, John Wayne, etc. But who was your goofiest co-star that you acted with? Was there one that was just joking around and laughing the whole time and you had a really fun time with? Well, Keanu definitely, you know, has his way and a fun time when we joked around a lot. And uh, so, uh, you know, and that becomes a great camaraderie. And, uh, you know, it's fun to work with people like that, to make it enjoyable. Robert Blake, uh, you know, he's, I, I, I don't mind saying it because you were just, we're just talking, was very unpleasant to work with him because he was very annoyed at everything. Uh, he would tell the, the, the uh, extras to shut up, you know, uh, uh, so that uh, we can go on rehearsing the scene, which is okay, but you don't have to be so rude about it. So uh, you, you, it's hard to say anything. Uh, uh, and even Gene Wilder, uh, it, it's very tough to work with these people because uh, I would suggest something and he would say, no, we've done that before. You know, then you just shut up and you don't feel like contributing anything. He anymore. said, you lose, yeah. you get nothing. Good day. <laughs> Good day. <laughs> uh, uh, but it's very ironic because uh, he himself repeated a lot of the jokes and movements that he did. You know, he didn't practice what he was preaching. Uh, uh, he didn't uh, He didn't approach the, the character or scene from another angle, you know, which is what good actors do. You don't keep repeating the same thing uh, over and over again because that 
what kind of expression is that? That's not life. Uh, but he's right. I learned from that. It was a hard lesson when he says, we've done this before. Okay. So next time as an actor, uh, I find myself doing something uh, uh, in a repetition. Then I say, wait a minute, James, you, you've done that before that particular way. Find another way to approach the same thing, another angle. And that's very true in all acting and uh, and in movies. If you approach the same situation from another angle, it gives you another exposition of the thing that's going on. Whereas you repeat it, you, you didn't create, you just copied. Right. Well, speaking of approaching stuff from another angle, uh, we all know about six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon, but uh, I think we should change it to six degrees from uh, James Hong from now on, given uh, all your co-stars over the years. What do you think of that? Yeah, please do. <laughs> yeah, so all our listeners, anytime you talk about another actor, it has to be six degrees from James Hong. By the way, Kevin Bacon is uh, uh, one of my favorite actors to to work with. You know, real nice guy. They were uh, they were in RIPD together. So um, if you need a way out, uh, if you're working backwards from Kevin Bacon, you can always think of James Hong there. That should get you to basically anyone else there you, you need. Go. Mm-hmm. Well, write a script where I can do more. Okay. I'm still waiting for that script. <laughs> no, we'll find one for you there. Um, yeah, do If you find one, email it to me. There's still time. There's a few more films on the horizon. No, we definitely will. Uh, one of uh, one of my friends who I write scripts with, uh, Justin Shady, who's listening, he'll uh, he'll appreciate that too because uh, we're both big fans of yours. But um, we have uh, uh, one more uh, little thing I want to uh, say here, uh, but there's one final listener's uh, question, which is an easy one, I think. Um, they said in Big Trouble in Little China, you wanted to find the girl with the green eyes, but on the set, whose eyes did you have the most fun gazing into? Susie Pye, who played the girl with the green eyes, Kim Cattrall, or Kurt Russell himself? Why don't you kill me first? <laughs> <laughs> so I have a, a um, task for our listeners here right before we let you go. Uh, we really appreciated all the time that you gave us. Yes, um, thank you. So I don't know if you know this, James, but, um, you know, here we do, it's a trivia episode every week. We ask trivia questions and we have people on guests and they, they answer and they play along. But there was a question that I was going to write, um, for another game coming up, but I'm going to just say it here because I think it's a very interesting fact. And I think along the lines of your career and, and sort of what you've been fighting for and, um, and, you know, playing against stereotype and, and doing your best to, um, represent, uh, Asian Americans on screen a lot of people don't know that um, Lucy Liu, who you were involved in Kung Fu Panda with. Uh, also, I worked with her on elementary. On elementary, too. That's right. Um, she, uh, Lucy Liu is the only, only the second uh, Asian-American actress after Anna Mae Wong, who received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So there's only two Asian-American actresses with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And so I wanted to ask our listeners to write in because I think you... James Hong deserve a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for all the uh, contributions to uh, Hollywood and uh, the silver screen you've given. So I think you need to be up there with so them. Where, where would they uh, write to? You got to tell them, uh, you know, to whom? We'll, we'll find them. <laughs> we'll, we'll find them, and, and we're all just going to go stand outside their office. But you got to give them an address or email. So flood the uh, Chamber of Commerce in uh, Hollywood saying, give James Hong a star on the on the walk of fame we should you have to join uh, lucy Liu and anime wong there so we should uh, we'll find the email maybe we'll put it in the show notes of this episode well uh, actually i was going to in the uh, you know wee hours in the morning uh go over there and just carve it right on the side <laughs> <laughs> yeah get your low pan nails and you can carve the stone with those 
yeah, right. Yeah, I'll blast it in, and the next day it will be there. Uh, well, we, we really appreciate one more role for James Hong on the six o'clock news being arrested <laughs> for vandalism. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but do write in, do, uh, do uh, write into the, I think it's the Chamber of Commerce of Hollywood. Yeah, we should. To we... put my name there. Gosh, you know, the guy who's done more roles than anybody, I think, or right there up on top, uh, doesn't get anything. Gee. Well, uh, well, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time. We're big fans of yours here, like we said. And uh, and uh, if if you don't mind indulging us, you've done some great impressions for us. Uh, before we leave, um, we actually have a bonus series. It's a tournament uh, actually called Kumite, and you were in Bloodsport <laughs> 2 and 3 uh, as Master San. But um, is there any way you could possibly uh, give us a, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bloodsport uh, that we could uh, use for our program as we uh, air it? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bloodsport. <laughs> so good. That was awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much, James. Uh, we're really honored to talk to you today. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay. Get me that star. We will. We're going to work on it. We're going to get you that star. And uh, we want to thank our listeners for listening to this episode of Triviality Behind the Trivia. Is it too much trouble to ask you to kill him? <laughs> All right. Thank you so that much, James. Okay. Recording. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.